Welcome to the Haunting Comforts of Teaching podcast. I am your host, Jen Kay, a middle school English teacher who finds comfort in sharing her journey of being present in the haunting rhythms of teaching. Through finding balance, dissecting struggles, learning grace, with occasional stories from and discussions with guests on education. Welcome to episode 28, the Haunting Comforts of Teaching podcast. Today we are back with Sarah, my friend from episode 13, where we discuss her impactful experience about being a full-time teacher and a full-time student at the same time. Once again, Sarah, thank you so much for joining my podcast for the second time, and maybe we can talk again in another time in the future. So just to start us off, can you reintroduce yourself and share what is one word you would describe this school year? And what is one word you would describe the upcoming school year? Thank you for having me back, Jen Kay. I have, it was fun the first time, so it's going to be fun this time. Uh, just a reminder, I am an English teacher going into my sixth year of teaching. I teach AP Literature and Composition, and I teach two courses of 10th grade, regular English and honors. How would I describe the year we just finished off in one word? It would have to be roller coaster for all the highs and lows and the twists and turns of the school year I had to offer. And one word to describe how I'm feeling towards the new school year is refreshed. Those are really relatable words. I definitely agree. This past school year is was definitely a roller coaster. We had a, at least in my school, we had. We got a new schedule that I had to adjust to. Eventually, I started liking the new schedule. But for this upcoming school year, I'm not too sure how to describe it because I just received a call today from my principal asking if I want to take on an extra class. And then I found out I'm teaching some other classes. So there's some big changes in my schedule. So I'm feeling a little anxious about this upcoming school year. But anyways, thank you for again joining me today. These are the some of the questions that we're going to dive into today with our reflection. So what were some highlights for the 2021-2022 school year for you? What were some low moments you wish to change? What is something you look forward to the next school year? What is something you don't look forward to? And what is something you learned this past year that you will bring into the next school year? So Sarah, what were some highlights for the past school year for you, the 2021-2022 school year? I would say one of the biggest highlights of the school year was finding out that six of my students in my AP Lit class passed with threes on the exam. That's a big jump for me from last year, well, the year before that when we were in quarantine because I had zero kids pass. So it was a big achievement. Also, the turnout from my honors English kids in 10th grade, uh, they did really well as well. That's awesome to hear. I think some of my high highlights for this school year is similar. I don't teach AP, um, but for the SBAC, for the upcoming um, California state exam, I did spend a lot of time preparing my students to take that test 
and prepare to write essays. Just I just remember my first first year, I can barely get my students to write one full essay, and I don't think anyone actually finished one full essay as an assignment. But this year, I actually was able to assign three, I believe, or four, no, three full essays for my students, and I, a good chunk of my students were able to complete their essays. So that's definitely a big highlight for me. And I'm not sure of the test scores at the moment, but I'm pretty sure a lot of my students have improved. And I all, I go through a lot of reflection with my students after we take a practice test. So that's definitely a big highlight. And also a second highlight for me was, I think, classroom management and building relationships. I believe this year, even though we just came back from online teaching. I believed I was able to improve in building stronger relationships. And I took a lot of different classroom management techniques in the past couple of years and really implemented them well. And I was able to not take things as personally and was able to be more consistent. And I believe for the first whole month, it's what you call the honeymoon period, I got my whole all my, all my classes, uh, it didn't matter if it was the honors class or the lowest performing class or the middle performing class, they were following all my routines really well. And I am especially proud that I was able to get them to silently read for the first 10 minutes, like really silent. When I try to implement this my first year, I could barely uh, have them focus on reading a book and they would just talk. So that was, those are definitely some of my highlights for me. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. I worked very hard with all my students writing wise, but for AP Lit, we really just like were honing in on how to write a thesis statement because a lot of the kids, that's like the hardest part for them. And that's what either makes or breaks the essay. So I finally found a algorithm and little organizer that helped them do it. And it just clicked in their heads and it, it really did help them. I, that I even started doing it with the honors kids and my regular kids, but the honors kids caught on to like a pattern and we're like, oh, we can do this for our regular journals or we can do this for our essay. Oh, this is easy. Like they started putting it together. So it just kind of made me think like, oh, I need to add some more AP stuff into honors since they are the pre-honor, uh, pre-AP kid. So that's what I'm thinking, like doing more as it goes. So. I'm very curious, what is this algorithm that you mentioned? So um, that's a long algorithm. I started it off with something, an acronym called F-A-T-T. It's like the fat sentence where you have your focus, which is a thesis, the real meaty part. Where you, um, The A is the author's name. The T is the title. The other T is the text type. But the focus was not getting across to the students. And I had the kids an AP look at a video that talked about how to write a thesis. And the lady in the video talked about the what, how, and the why. So like the what, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? What are they doing? How, how do they do that? Are they using uh, like rhetorical devices? Are they using um, imagery? And then the why, what's the whole purpose behind why they, the author is trying to do this? Is it just because they want to emphasize an emotion? 
Do they want to characterize a character's relationship with another character? Or are they trying to criticize society? And it really just helped them because I also gave them like questions to it. They dissected example theses that did that exemplar model and they even uh, critiqued their own classmates and they began to see like, oh, this is what it needs to have. Or it could have added this as well and it could have just made it stronger. So those are the two algorithms I put together. Yeah, I really like that word algorithm. It makes it sound really cool and fancy and I really like how you are getting to the nitty-gritty details of how to write a quality thesis. And I think that's something I want to work on um, for this upcoming school year. Because I think the past school year, I think I have accomplished a lot in terms of, you know, quantity. Like I'm getting students to turn in the work, but I felt like I think I had more time to dive into more quality. So I think that's my new goal for this upcoming school year. Aside from, you know, maintaining classroom management, I definitely have more time now with this new block schedule to dive in to more quality work, to get more quality work from the students who are turning in their work. So I think, yeah, thank you for giving me this idea, algorithms. I'm going to start thinking about algorithms this upcoming school year also. I, I too, as myself, want to get more quality work from the kids I still have to work on getting you know the quantity because it's it's not trickling in as fast or in abundance as I would like it to so those two things would be something that I would have to work towards in this new coming year so you just mentioned Sarah about like vamping up the quantity of the work you want turned in. So my next question would be, what are some of the low moments you wish you can change? So some of the low moments that I had in all my classes, not any particular one, was the low student motivation just to do work, lack of motivation to do something for themselves, because the whole reason why they're at school is to educate themselves so they can do whatever they want after high school. Also the lack of work completion, that was a big high in the, in all my classes. It was just so being used to distance learning and being able to turn it in whenever they wanted. And this time it just, it was, it was really hard for some kids, like those that were really procrastinating and just turning it in towards the end of the unit, it just became pointless because what are they actually learning at that point that's going to actually have prepared them strategically for their unit test or for their benchmark test? But also it became like very a lot of anxiety for some students because they're like, oh, my God, my grade dropped. How am I going to pick it up now? I'm not going to be able to pick it up now. Like, you know, it was like almost like the end of the world for some of the kids. But it was just like the routine that they had during distance learning became their crutch and it became like the norm for them. And that was a big problem about the lack of work completion. Also, uh, expectations for themselves. I don't think they had high expectations for themselves when it came to behavior. I think for my 10th graders, it was a lot of I haven't been in school since I was in eighth grade. So I still behave a bit like an eighth grader. Some of my seniors would joke around saying, 
but I wasn't in school for 11th grade. So technically, I'm still a sophomore. So I'm right now currently in my junior type of mentality. I'm like, find it quick. You're a senior. It's a couple of months and you're going to be graduating and you're going off to college or the workforce, whatever that is. But yeah, you need to change that attitude of how your your work habits are and what you expect out of yourself. So I think those were my low moments. So Sarah, I think I can really connect with what you just said about your 10th graders coming in like as if they're eighth graders and your seniors acting like like sophomores, juniors. Oh, juniors? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like that's the last time we stepped foot into school. And I think I have a similar experience where this year I taught all eighth graders at my middle school and eighth graders are supposed to be like the most mature group in the middle school. And but this year, I felt like they were acting like really immature sixth graders, even though I never taught sixth graders personally in my school, but I have subbed in classrooms. I was like, yeah, they act really childish. I was like, why are they talking about these little kid shows that their little siblings watch? So I was just like really intrigued. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was just like, huh. I felt like the past eighth graders I had in the past year, we were a lot more mature than this year for some odd reason. But at the same time, like, I feel like, you know, this school year was overall pretty good. I still feel like my this group, this cohort, for me personally, were better than a lot of my students in the past year. I think simply because I was able to get my classroom management better and connecting with them better. But I do have to say one of my low moments was a classroom management moment where it was actually with my toughest class. I still remember that very day where I I know when that class turned against me. (laughs) I'm using very strong terms here, but I feel very strongly about this moment. It was the moment where we had to take, it was the day where we had to take school pictures and I had to bring them down to the gym and they all had to take their individual, uh, I guess it's like their school ID pictures. And then they would, there was other classes there too. And they're all, you know, lining up and getting their pictures taken. So at first uh, we were waiting at the bleachers and then they would slowly start lining up as more students took their pictures. And then all of a sudden, this was towards the end of the period already. I heard the bell and I thought, oh, class is over. And I said goodbye to my class and I started walking away. And then after a couple of minutes, I'm looking at the hallways. I was like, why is no one? Where is everyone? <laughs> I thought class was over. So I hurry back and I realized that I actually, I don't know how I found out, but I realized that was just a 10 minute warning bell for PE kids. I had no idea there was a separate bell for PE kids to tell them to change. So I hurried back. And then when I came back, all my kids were acting so crazy. I had to gather them all back together on the bleachers. But man, I felt like after that day, the students, that particular period, my toughest period, gave me a hard time in class. And then I could barely, not that they were super crazy compared to my first couple of years, but they were very, very hard to teach. We wasted a lot of time. I think compared to my other periods, we were behind 15 minutes of the classroom material and lesson. So it was 
definitely one of the low moments I wish I could go back and change where I knew that was just a 10 minute warning bell and just stay there. I think, I think the class would have been better in uh, following instructions and like learning, but that's definitely one of the lowest moments I really wish I could change. I had, I had a couple of those moments this year because we had like two or three different bell schedules this year and I couldn't keep track of it. We had, we started off with our regular bell schedule, but then students complained about how long class periods were from 90 minutes period, 90 minute periods to 110 minute periods. And then a one day, 60 minute period and kids were complaining. So they switched it. And I was just like, okay, just switch it in the middle of the semester. And the kids were confused. I was confused because then their lunch was changed. It was now by floor and it was, my brain was discombobulated. There was times where I'm like, I need to double check because I'm about ready to send kids off like super early. And it wasn't just me who's done it once. A couple of teachers also, because in the second semester, they changed it again because of specific days. And it's just, there was like no consistency. So we were just like, it is what it is, everybody. Just kidding, testing you guys, you know, it's when, when class ends. But I think it sums up the year that everyone's had coming back. Yeah, I still remember you telling me your school changed your bell schedule like three times. Was it three times within the same school year? Yes, it was three times. And then this year, we got a new one for next year. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. I don't, I don't know how I would survive in that situation. This was all in person, right? It was all in person and they still changed it three times. Yes, all yeah. in person changed it three times. Because I know at my school, we did change our bell schedule for like my first three years of teaching. They were all completely different bell schedules. And then when the pandemic hit, we did change it three times, but it was like logical. I was like, okay, we are, okay, uh, it was the regular bell schedule and then we had to stay home. I was like, that's when COVID first hit. And that was like a completely different schedule. And then when we started the next school year, it was like this schedule for online learning. And then it was time to come back. So they changed the schedule again because they had to like, okay, how many people are coming back? And now they have to do this weird hybrid schedule, group A, group B. Like that change was kind of logical because it was like a change in situation. But yeah, to think that your school changed it within the same year when there wasn't really, I don't think it was necessary to change it within three years. I mean, not three years, but within the same school year. Yeah, that's just crazy. Just because kids complain about it, you just change it right away. That's just really strange to me. So now that we discussed some of the low moments, what is something you look forward to for the next school year, Sarah? So I'm really excited uh, to go back and teach AP Lit. Uh, this is going to be the first time in the last two years that I taught it where I see that all the kids in that class have the reading Lexile level that is either 1300 or above. So the past two years, it's it's been like a mix of high and some medium level kids and then some low this year. So this is, I have very high expectations of what we can get to this year. So I'm very excited for that. 
Um, I got to meet them before we left for summer break. And for the first time, nobody dropped. Everyone wanted to take, uh, we're up to the challenge to take the course. So I'm very excited. And I've also, I've known these kids since they were ninth graders, incoming ninth graders. So I'm just really excited. These were the kids that I was supposed to have their 10th grade year. And it was supposed to be my year to soar with them. So I get to another crack at it and soar with them this time, but AP Lit. So big goals for that. I'm excited to go back and teach honors again because this year was my first year teaching it. And now I know how to teach the honors kids and how to prep them for AP Lang better. So I'm excited for that. Um, excited just to go back in general with the other students as well. I've honed my craft, I think, good enough. It's been six years now in the making. Uh, but I'm also uh, happy to go back and do some more stations. I haven't done a lot of those, kind of a little bit here and there this year, but doing more stations with the students, uh, really honing in on the SSR to get students more interested in reading and not seeing it such as a chore. And then trying to really, really implement ILPs, so individual learning plans for students, where they choose standards that they themselves want to focus on for the semester or quarter and have them kind of monitor their progress. So that way they're more accountable for what they're learning. I tried to do it this year, but I wasn't good about being consistent with it. So I'm going to make sure I am more consistent with it, as well as keeping them, helping them keep track of a binder with all their work to kind of showcase like their portfolio. This is my growth from the beginning of the year all the way to the end. Oh, that is definitely a lot of things to look forward to for the next school year. But yeah, I think our school is trying to move towards some kind of portfolio too. But I feel like I like keeping things digital, so I would like just a digital portfolio, but I can, I do, I just think it's a lot of work to keep up with a physical portfolio. I used to have those physical portfolios in my classroom, but then I end up never having time to get to them, like to pass their work back or to, or maybe to just have them reflect on their work and what is their best work, you know, to do an actual portfolio reflection, you would have to take the time to do that. But I never really had the time to do that. So I don't know if that would be possible this year, but because there's a lot of new things going on this upcoming school year. So I'll have to see. But you mentioned SSR. Uh, your SSR is the silent, sustained silent reading, right? Yes. And you mentioned it. Yeah. So I think you just reminded me something I forgot to mention. Like that was a highlight actually regarding reading. Like besides actually like first 10 minutes and keeping everyone actually quiet for the first 10 minutes and really focus on their reading. I actually tried something new this past year. Well, more of the second semester. I think there's a lot of good stuff that happened in my second semester that I learned from the first semester, the past school year, where I had this little chart on my whiteboard where I keep track of how many books everyone read. I mean, not like every single student. I just kept it by periods. And I told them, okay, everyone, your goal is to read at least one book a month, okay? Any book you want. And so by the end of the semester, you should have five books, okay? You should finish five books. So I have this whole chart where it's like, okay, uh, January, February, March, April, May. I think January, February. Yeah, I had it up to May, January to May. And then, and then I had it 
the periods on the columns. And then each time someone finished a book, they would show me by taking an AR, accelerated reader quiz, or just writing a summary about the book. So once they do that, I said, okay, we now have one student from period one who has finished their first book. So I would always constantly go back to that, especially before or during or after silent reading and maybe asking them to share a quote to that really stood out to them. And I think that really, I, I this school year, I think this was one of my biggest achievement is actually encouraging a lot more reading this year. Because there's this one student who really, I wouldn't take as much of a reader and he, I felt like he was not doing much and I feel like he would talk a lot, but he actually kept finishing, even though the books were not that long, but he was like finishing 10 books. Like I had a handful of students who were going beyond the five book goal and they were really into like, oh, okay, I'm meeting the goals. So I think that was pretty cool because I know I mentioned like, oh, I like, I want to keep everything digital, but I think some things are meant to be more physical so they can actually see it. It's like right on the board. They see it every day when they come to class. So I felt like that was something really cool that I do plan on keeping. And so I really look forward to this school year to really push and continue to revamp and encourage all my students to really get into reading. And I think it starts with, you know, having a goal and actually meeting the goal. Because I think a lot of times I ask students to make goals. And then when we go back to it, it's like, oh, we didn't even meet the goal. Or we don't even have time to see if we met the goal or not. So that is something I definitely look forward to this upcoming school year. So that was a lot of positive and what we want to look forward to the next school year. Now, let's take a look at the not-so-positive side of next school year, since we all know as teachers, there's always, there's a lot of things that's in the career that does not help us at all and stress us out. So what is something you don't look forward to this upcoming school year? One thing I am not looking forward to this year is PD time professional development I think just you know personal experience what I've heard from classmates in my master's program as we all know I was going to school as well as teaching um, professional development looks very different than it used to I think it was about how do we provide resources to teachers to use in the classroom but now I think Given the pandemic, given all these different educational ideas like race to the top, no child left behind, and going back way back since the beginning of education, that there's always been this, we need to fix the system. So here's a new way to fix it. And a lot of the blame has been on teachers, but there's also different factors that correlate with the poor performances as well for students. And I think we're, instead of going and giving us the strategies of, hey, this is what you can do with your ELs. This is this new thing that you can try. Or you know what, we're going to create a class that helps the EL students. Or here's a class that's going to help support SPED students. Or we're going to do co-teaching. Instead, we're doing PD that is not about strategies 
but more about how to plan, plan backwards, plan monthly, plan daily, weekly, what you have it. And I just feel that PD isn't as developmental for teachers as it used to be, or maybe other teachers that are more seasoned or veterans would say it's never been, but I feel like we're, we're giving, getting PD that's a, that we were given in a class when we were becoming teachers. We learned how to plan. These are basic skills that we already come into the profession with. And I think it's, it's going backwards for us instead of really looking at the true issues in, in the classroom when it comes to student learning and student engagement. So that, that's why I'm not looking forward to professional development this year. I have a question. So have you had other PDs regarding the same topic, at least maybe in your f- five years ago, you know, when you first started? About how to lesson plan? Yes, in, this, in the school you're at and PDs. Yes, we did. And I think it was more geared towards when we would get observed, like what the school district wanted to see in our lesson plan that we would submit before we get observed to make sure that we're hitting all these key ideas key not key ideas but key things that they were looking for Um, we learned how to write an objective to match the standards but I think since I got in that was happening in my second year since then it's become so honed in on just the planning that we're getting away from the bigger picture I think we're not calculating different areas that could be the factor why students are not performing as they should. We're just focusing on what are the teachers capable of doing? What aren't they doing? They're doing it wrong. Instead of looking at maybe we are, maybe it's because we don't have the resources to help our students. Maybe we don't have the strategies that these kids coming into this generation need. More ways to keep them engaged. Um, but again, it comes down to resources, comes down to social class, comes down to the community that we're working in, out external factors that we can't control, neither could the student control. But I think it's just gone like way away from that when we come to professional development. Yeah, so it seems like your your district and my district seems to be on looks like we're we're we like to focus on similar things here, like yeah, to like, why aren't students performing well on these state tests? And it's always going back to planning. You know, at first, uh, we had some PDs like before, maybe a couple of years where there were some interesting planning strategies or formats. And then, and then I'm thinking, but why are we like changing the lesson like format like almost every year? So we just learned to like, okay, let's copy and paste. <laughs> They just want it in a different way. So I'm just like, I don't know if this is actually really helpful because you're just putting stuff in different different orders. But I mean, I understand. Like, I think we we had a lot of planning practice in our teaching credential program. And, you know, I don't know how many new teachers are at your school. I think maybe the new teachers would benefit because I know there's a lot of things the teaching credential program cannot really cover. You have to learn it by experience and maybe through other teachers. And 
at least for me, I found like Kagan and Avid training, those two trainings, I think I actually liked them. Like when I first had them, like I was like, I was never exposed to all these strategies specifically for teaching English. Because I know in our teaching credential program, I think I discussed this in my previous episodes with my other friends about how I felt it was really lacking in single subject training area. Like we literally had one course for our single subject focus. All the other courses was like, okay, there was also one course on classroom management, which is also like a very important topic, but they literally only give us one course. Granted that you can't really get good classroom management, have good classroom management if you don't, you know, do it. Like it's all through experience, but at the same time, I felt like all the other, there's a lot of courses in the teaching credential program I felt were not as practical as like, I think they should have given more courses, at least focusing on how to actually teach our subject. So I stepped away from my English single subject teaching course with like, okay, I don't really, I didn't really learn anything. (laughs) So I felt like I had more strategies that I personally used when I was tutoring or like teaching after school programs that were more practical. So it was pretty eye-opening when I was, you know, doing Kagan and Avid, but, but as you know, as the years progressed, I felt like it was just like the same stuff. And then it's like, okay, all right, okay. We need to still bring up the scores. Let's go back to how we're planning And I was like, why are we planning like the same stuff or like you're trying to change what we plan every single year? And yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think at this point, I remember one of the teachers brought it up. It's like, why don't we look at, you know, maybe one of the main reasons why is that students are not reading at grade level. They can't understand what they're testing because they cannot read the test. A lot of the text is very heavy. They have to read the text, answer critical thinking questions, and then they have to write this whole essay after reading all this text. So it's just, there's a lot going on here. It's not simply because maybe the teacher is not teaching in a certain way, but I think at the end of the day, if I think the most practical way to really help students is to decrease class sizes. We need more time, small group time, one-on-one time, not like shoving over 30 kids in one room. I completely agree. Like one of my master professors would say, you know, we're constantly trying to find the penicina or change the penicina to all the problems of the education system that we don't give it enough time to kind of marinate to say, hey, maybe this does really work. But everything is like, we need a constant, oh, turnaround of here, it works. We fixed it, right? And I think, you know, we, we got to sometimes take a couple of years to get the kinks out, right? Common core, what we had before. Um, but yeah, there's the, the school system needs a little bit of a reboot or a shape to get to where it needs to be to help our students to facilitate their needs instead of just trying to pad data. So I haven't really mentioned what I don't really look forward to the next school year, but I kind of briefly touched upon it in our introduction where I feel a little anxious about the upcoming school year because earlier this morning, I had to 
well, I got a text from one of the office staff saying, oh, the principal wants you to call him ASAP. And around that time, it was around 9 a.m. in the morning. And I was still kind of, you know, relaxing, resting in my bed on this Friday morning. And I was just like, oh, uh, ASAP as soon as possible. Well, let me uh, let me just wait it out. So after about two hours, when I finally woke up and did some morning business, I called back. But before I called back, I was I was like chatting with some other teachers. And then one teacher brought up, oh, it's probably be, it might be about the PD we're going to do or they might want you to do an auxiliary. And it turns out the principal did was offering me to do an auxiliary because they have a hard time hiring more teachers. So and they didn't want like a long term sub in the room for the students to start the year off. So they figured it was better to like give extra an extra class to like each teacher so that the students would start off right, I guess. But I was like, well, but I Personally, I already, you know, don't want an auxiliary, but I did not, you know, straight out say no to the principal. I said, I'll think about it. And he suggested that I can get back to him in a week. So, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm already saying no. But what really, what really convinced me that I really don't want this is that when he was kind of sharing my schedule I realized my assignment for the next school year has changed. Originally, I was told that I would be teaching all eighth grade again, like this year, but it turns out they're throwing me a seventh grade class. Um, I don't really mind. I did teach seventh grade English before and then some eighth grade classes. And then that extra auxiliary class, uh, for those of you who don't know, an auxiliary is just an extra class that takes place of a conference period in place of the time you can use to plan and um, call parents and do other teacher duties that you don't have time to do. But a lot of those times we often get called a sub for other classes because we can't get subs. So that's one of the main reasons why I feel very strongly against auxiliary. It's taking away my precious planning time that I can use for my own class. And um, not only that, this new auxiliary class the principal was offering is a sixth grade English class, which I never taught before. So if I were to say yes, I would be saying yes to three preps plus no conference every other day with this new block schedule. So like in my head, I'm just going to be like, oh, this does not sound good, but I didn't. This is part of my personality. I, I do have a hard time saying no straight up. So I'm just like, I'll think about it, you know, and I kind of, you know, mentioned I never had an auxiliary before and I don't know if I can handle it, but um, I was just I like to present things in a nice way. I don't like to straight up <laughs> reject, but even though I really want to reject, but I think I improved a lot because this past year I did say no to a couple things and I usually get persuaded to say yes to different things, but I I think I'm quite proud of myself for saying I'll think about it because <laughs> it does take take a lot to not say to not say yes immediately for me personally. And, um, and I was real, I was just thinking like, what if I say yes? Also, that means if I really want to survive this year, I cannot take up the reading decathlon club anymore. And I, do I really want that? Because I really like my reading decathlon club. So, and I'm just thinking like, what was, what was something I forgot to mention? I actually looked 
really look forward to, like with reading, because it's through my reading decathlon club, I'm actually spreading the love of reading and promoting the love of reading. And if I were to take on this new heavy, stressful schedule, I would have to toss that out if, if I want to stay alive this school year. But yeah, so I don't know. What do you think, Sarah, about like this Number whole situation? One, I, I think you have your decision already decided for you. I think you no know is your answer because you don't want to lose the, the decathlon, the reading decathlon. I think that is the make it. I think that's like your, your, your make it or break it for you because you have already eighth grade and, and seventh grade, right? That's the classes. So you're teaching those, you've taught them before, so it's familiar, right? You can always spruce it up here and there. But the one thing your pride and joy is the reading decathlon. So I wouldn't want to switch out the auxiliary period for that. I would say no. Also, prep time is sacred time. So we cannot take home everything to grade, I think. That is something that I learned about this year is keep it at school. I don't know how many times I brought stuff home this year thinking I would grade it and it didn't happen. And I was proud of myself because I did that too much in my first five years of teaching. So keep your prep, say goodbye to the auxiliary period, and also hold on to your reading decathlon because that. That, that's what really makes you happy and you're very passionate about. So I wouldn't let that go either. So after this school year, I definitely learned a lot. Um, one of the most important things is my grading system. I decided to try out and experiment with like a four, three, two, one grading scale. I don't have the nine, the traditional, what is it? Uh, zero to 100 scale. So I decided to give a four is an A, three is a B, two C, one D, zero F. And I realized after this year, I think I need a little bit more nuance to really um, show students what their actual level of understanding is. And I think there was a bigger gap, even though it seemed logical at the four, three, two, one, but I think for the next school year to change up the grades a little bit, I want to do a five, three, I mean, five, four, three, two, one scale to give it more nuance and more accuracy to show students and to maybe get students to um, work harder and be proud of their level of learning. What about you, Sarah? What is something you learned this year that you will bring into the next school year? So what I've learned is to say no to grading at home, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I, I continuously still brought homework to grade, but it just never got graded. So I'm glad it didn't. And I was okay with that. I wasn't stressing. I wasn't angry about it. Um, I tried making more use of my prep time, time in between when kids were doing independent work and didn't really need me, or I built in within my lesson independent work for them to do or group work to do. And I could just kind of grade on the spot some stuff. Uh, also, what I learned was to let go of things that I cannot control. I think this year a lot because there was so much classroom management issues and just 
student behavior in general from very small, trivial issues to like the bigger issues where students are constantly walking out of the classroom and I'm trying to herd them in like cats. Um, it's just, you know what, it is what it is this year or maybe next year, it is what it is. I've done what I could do. I can't control anymore and that's okay. I think we, we stress ourselves out too much is that we're trying to do too much when we don't see it being taken care of elsewhere. And that's like the big stressor and it creates teacher burnout. And I think this year as a fifth year teacher, I'm getting that fifth year wisdom where I'm just like, I did my part. I've done all I can do. Let the powers outside do the rest because I'm not burning myself out. I am not going to die on that hill. Just, you know, control what you can't control and whatever else that you can't just just let it come yes that is definitely um fifth year of wisdom there's a lot of things we learn on this fifth year march we're like halfway into that decade you know we're we are if we're gonna make it to that you know veteran teacher status yeah go through five more years and make it 10 years i realized like wow you know we just finished five years. We just need five more years. It actually doesn't sound that long. Okay, just five more years. But right, but it's so crazy. Just five years ago, we were students who just came out of a credential program. Our, our credential was literally printed off the printer, still hot when we were just, you know, submitting in applications to get hired. And we're five years, going into six years. But I don't so- think our teaching credential we didn't even have like an actual physical certificate well, no metaphorically, <laughs> metaphorically metaphorically yes it was printed out it was hot off the press when we just started applying yeah like we were just so green I mean we had student teaching but we we're still very green yes we had it yes. made we had it made <laughs> yeah I mean student teaching is definitely nothing compared to like actual teaching so there's definitely a lot of fifth year wisdom to pick up on like for sure because what you said earlier about you know hurting your students into the class I feel like I think we're less we're less alone than we think because I see this I've been seeing this meme floating around the internet where like you know something that can make a teacher super proud and achieve is like hurting your students quietly down the hallway it's it's such a good feeling because is like it's like it's so hard to like you know get students to quietly follow instructions as they're walking down the hallway like no matter if you're taking them to the library or taking them to the gym or they're just coming back from PE it's like it's tough so like I used to think like oh man not good enough teacher if I can't do that like I feel like all the best teachers can have such a good control over their students we all all the students just be quiet and just follow instructions quietly. And that's how you know that teacher is good. I used to have like this mindset. It's actually really tough to do all that. And if you keep thinking about if you're not good enough, it does does burn you out. And um, it kind of just reminds me when I, when I subbed one time, it was in a different district. And I think it was I don't know. It was in the elementary school. I don't think it was kindergarten. I think it was maybe second or third grade. And there was this teacher. I think I was, she was just handing off her kids to me. 
And she, I remember her saying this. I don't know why I remember her saying this. Like she was just leading her kids, but the kids were going to be all like rowdy and stuff, but like they're all following her. And then she's, she's like, oh, I probably, you, you probably don't like me. You, you probably have your own style, right? Like uh, this is, you probably don't lead kids like this, right? Like this is like, I think she was a pretty veteran teacher, but all these kids really just like pretty rowdy, but they're like, you know, following the teacher to the classroom. And I just, I don't know, I felt like that really stuck with me. And that just connected to what you said. I, and I felt like, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you know, I think the most important thing is to really build those relationships with the students at the end of the day. It really is. I think building relationships goes a long way, whether it's learning in the classroom, respecting one another, teacher to student and student to teacher, and just a full out outcome of whatever you want and routines. It's, it's all about the buy-in of the students and that relationship that we, that we bring into the classroom and how, and how we deal with all the kids, because there's going to be some students that are very hesitant to buy into your system, to buy into you. I, I go in like super passionate and so jovial about what I do for a living. And they're just like, you really like what you do for a living? And I'm like, yes, I do. I've known since I was five years old what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's really awesome. I really, I'm really like, uh, I've, I don't know, what's the word? I'm really impressed that you can go in there with so much gusto and energy you know, and, and your kids are still doubting whether you like your job or not. Like for me, it makes sense. I'm, I'm like, not like that. Like I'm not super happy. I'm not like the super happy, energetic teacher. I, I can be like, maybe like for a couple seconds, a couple times, maybe, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's just, I'm the more like serious teacher. And then maybe I'll crack a joke here and there. And then maybe I'll joke around with a couple kids, but overall my vibe is being serious, but I'm, I always want to be positive, you know, encourage them. But, you know, sometimes it's just definitely building those relationships. And a lot of times I just feel like I shouldn't get disheartened when, you know, students maybe make, you know, those kind of comments about teachers. But yeah, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me in the second second round and i can't wait to do another future podcast with you in the next couple months thank you for having me jen k and i look forward to the next one teaching can be such an isolating job and experience but it becomes a lot more enriching when we collaborate with one another every time i share this platform and have these discussions with sarah i always become more in tune and I feel more connected we are not so different and I'm so glad that Sarah and I got together to reflect on our past year and as we get ready for the next year thank you for listening to haunting comforts where we come together to be present in the rhythms of teaching through finding balance, dissecting struggles, and learning grace. Follow me on my Instagram at Haunting Comforts to stay updated when I post new episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give a rating and a comment about what you enjoyed the most on the platform you are listening to. Thank you for your support.